We're actually going to be all over this book together this morning, looking at several different uh, texts from Proverbs. I'm actually, when it comes to Father's Day and Mother's Day, I don't necessarily feel the need uh, each year to preach a specific Mother's Day message or a specific Father's Day message. But this morning, I I would like to uh, do that. And uh, actually, many of you, I would imagine, have an angelic picture of your kids hanging somewhere, you know, on your wall, or maybe it's sitting on your dresser, or perhaps it's tucked into your wallet. And I would imagine when you see that picture of your kids or your family, it warms your heart. So what I want you to do, I actually want you to get whatever that picture is in your house or in your wallet. I want to get you to get that picture in your mind. In fact, if you've got that picture in your wallet, maybe you carry it around. Why don't you just get it out right now and uh, even set it right there on the pages of your Bible? Because I want you to take it out. I want to tell you a little something about your kids. According to Scripture... Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5. Children are a heritage from the Lord. And the fruit of the womb, a reward. And, and the psalmist says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children's, children of one's youth. And then he goes on to say, blessed or happy is the man who fills his quiver full of them or fills his quiver with them. Obviously a very, very positive statement about kids. And so I would say, hey, happy Father's Day. Happy Mother's Day. I missed that. I wasn't here. <laughs> but, but happy Father's Day. You still got your kid's picture in front of you? Because it's not all sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. According to Scripture, listen to what Genesis 8 verse 21 says. It says that the intention of a man's heart is evil. And then notice what comes next. From his youth. Well, I mean, did you catch that? The intention of a man's heart is evil from his youth. And then we know from Jeremiah 17, verse 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So let's just get something uh, straight right here from the outset. Like his father and like his mother, your child was not born basically good. And actually, it's not just that, you know, he just has a few little wrinkles here and there that we just kind of need to get ironed out over the next 18 years. Like, this is going to be great. Actually, your kid was born with all the right ingredients already within him to grow up and become this. A foolish, wicked, ignorant, lazy, disorderly, angry, unfaithful, rebellious, cheating, deceiving, stealing, unjust, unfair, inequitable, lying, dishonoring, critical, proud, impure, slanderous, strife-causing, jealous, hateful, cruel, greedy, shameful, drunken, unfriendly, miserable, envious, unteachable person who will destroy himself, etc. We could go on and on and on and on. Pastor Nate, back off. It's Father's Day. If you don't believe that about your kid... Do you know what you are? You're a fool. When the wisest man to ever live, Solomon, wrote the book of Proverbs to his son, he understood the magnitude of his son's fallen condition. He wasn't blind to it. He wasn't like, you know what, my son, Solomon probably had a bunch of them. He's just like basically good. Just a few wrinkles will iron it out. No, he's concerned about a a lot of things related to his son's fallen condition. He understood human nature. And for those of you dads and moms sitting here, your kid has huge problems and major spiritual needs, just like you did when you were born and just like you do today. Okay, this is a reality. And that's the bad news. 
But do you know what the good news is? God has given your kid at least two very, very, very special gifts. And the first gift is the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, because God does not want your child to stay in that condition that I just described. And the second gift is the gift of parents, and that's you. And so along the way, God has several things that he wants you to teach your kids. Uh, by the way, because God is, is in his favor chose you for the task. Just think about that for a moment. God in his favor chose you for this task. You need to teach your kids to be wise. You remember what Paul said in Ephesians 6 verse 4. He said, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And uh, based on that verse, you're supposed to teach your kids some things. They're in school right now with mom and dad if they're still in your home. And, and there are lessons that need taught and instructions that need conveyed. And I think we could sit back a little bit and go, well, what are those lessons? What, what is that I, that I need to convey to my children? Well, if you want to know what to teach your kids... Just look at the book of Proverbs, because it's actually a content manual for you as a parent. A king wrote it to raise future kings and queens. You have a king writing this to his son, and presumably it's going to be passed on throughout the generations of this family, this royal family. He's writing to raise future kings and queens, and what I might encourage you to do next time you read this book, you might just want to read it with your kids in view. I tend to read Proverbs with, with me in view. You know, Nate, you need to be this way and that. And here's these different principles. But I think you would glean so much just reading it as a parent and thinking through, okay, this is what God wants me to impart. Here's a lot of content God wants me to teach. This morning we're going to look at 10 lessons that Solomon taught his son that you also need to teach. And I think you'll find out whether you're a parent or not. Uh, here this morning, maybe you want to have kids and God hasn't blessed you with children yet. Uh, these are the type of things that, that whether you're a parent or not, you can teach in the next generation. Or, or if you're a grandparent, or if you're an aunt or an uncle, or you're just here in church, I think every parent in this room would say, if other people can help me on this mission, I just really appreciate it. Because I need some help. So 10 lessons. First, teach your kids to fear the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, if you're there, right at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, Solomon says this to his son. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He's explaining to his son, listen, that's where it all starts right there. With the fear of the Lord. Solomon is teaching his son about the importance of a real and right relationship with God. Solomon knows that until his son becomes what we might call a God worshiper or a God fearer, until his son, as we might word it in, in our kind of everyday language, until his son gets saved, he'll never truly be wise or godly. And your job as a parent, my job as a, as a parent is in, to instruct our kids how to have a relationship with God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I think when you think about that, what that means for anyone here who's a parent is your primary mission field is your home. You want to teach the gospel by word and by example and pray then that God would do the miraculous. God, would you do this, this miraculous work of saving my kids? And until that happens and the Spirit of God dwells within your child, the rich fruit of godly wisdom is not going to come. And whatever fruit does seem to show up on that tree really isn't real. As a parent, Solomon's um, 
ultimate goal is not to modify his son's behavior. He's going to talk about all th- all kinds of things his son should do and not do and ways he should think and principles he should live by. But ultimately, he wants to see his son's behavior change from the inside out as God works in his son. And that's why he's saying this at the very beginning. Son, listen, the, 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 the very beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is where it all starts. Everything I'm about to say builds on this, this relationship. Several decades ago, polio came ripping through. And as it did so, it impacted many children. Many kids quickly found themselves living inside of uh, an iron lung. I would imagine many of you are familiar with the iron lung. It's basically a large metal tube that would breathe for them. And if the iron lung stopped, the child would die, right? Like this, this big metal iron lung, this tube that they're living in is breathing for them. You take the kid out of the lung, what happens? That child's gonna die because he can't breathe on his own. And I think what happens is that mom and dad are often like an iron lung spiritually breathing for their kid. And at 18, when their child leaves the house, all signs of spiritual life disappear. Does that necessarily mean mom and dad did something wrong? No, not necessarily. It's just a dynamic that's often at play. And I think we're reminded that it's actually God who must give your kids and my kids the breath of spiritual life. God has to do something in them and make them new so that their spiritual heart beats on its own. The goal is always to see them come to Christ for themselves. And this faith that we would love, that it would become theirs. Because God chose you for the task, you want to teach your kids to fear the Lord. Teach them how to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Teach them the gospel. Try to live it and pray for their souls. Second lesson, teach your kids to bow before the word of God. What are you going to teach and demonstrate to your kids about the Bible and the Word of God. Is the Word of God king? Is it supreme? Is it, as we often refer to it, the final rule for faith and practice for life? Is it something that you can take or leave? You know, if you don't like this part, we'll toss it out. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, if you just turn over perhaps one page in your Bible, we already read this verse in our scripture reading this morning, Solomon says there to his son, Proverbs 2, verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom. He's pointing his son to the source of all wisdom. It's God. And then he says, From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. In other words, son, if you want wisdom, you go to the word of God. And son, if it contradicts the word of God, it's not wise. It's wrong. It's folly. And then in Proverbs 13, verse 13, he says, Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself. But he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Psalm is trying to teach his son to revere the words of God. That this book is holy. We don't call it the Holy Bible for nothing. These are God's words and what it says. This is everything. These are the words of life. And so you want to teach and show your kids that the word of God is king and and seek to model that in your decision making in in your everyday life. I think that one of the greatest things that any child could see is this parent with the word of God just reading it for themselves. 
And all throughout those childhood years and teen years know that my mom or dad opens up the Bible and they read it because they want to, they want to know God and they want to walk with Him. And this book, they're seeking, though I know they're not doing it perfectly, they're seeking for this book to guide their entire life. Because God chose you for this task, teach your kids to bow before the Word of God. And a third lesson, teach your kids to welcome correction. Solomon says much to his son about the importance of correction and receiving it. And receiving it well. In fact, even welcoming that into his life. Uh, Let me just provide a sampling of, of some of these verses. Actually, you can turn to Proverbs 3 now. You may already be there. We'll look at verses 11 and 12 in a moment. But before those verses, let me read Proverbs 12, verse 1. Solomon says, Whoever loves... Discipline loves knowledge. That's some strong language to talk about discipline. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. That's Proverbs 12, verse 1. Solomon explains to his son that, you know, you know what, son? Correction isn't something to despise. But something actually that should be welcomed into your life. And he wants his son actually to grow, not just to value and to receive correction, but but actually to love it. I mean, that's the language he he uses, whoever loves discipline. I mean, who, who, who would love that? Well, none of us naturally, because love for discipline is an acquired taste, much like coffee. Uh, the first time I drank coffee, I spewed it out, just black coffee. Oh my, I can't believe anyone drinks this. This is disgusting. Just bitter and sour. And the next thing I know, I, I found myself drinking double doubles with shots of caramel. I was like, this is awesome. It's like a candy bar in a cup. Like, I, I mean, I could drink one of these every single day. And then like double chins started appearing. And I'm like, I got to tone it back a little bit. And now I've cut a lot of that stuff back. I'm kind of to a regular, one cream, one sugar. And what, what once I hated and spewed out, now I love. I'm like, hey, you want to go for coffee? Yeah, I'm right there. Like, let's do it. I love coffee. How do you teach your kids an, an acquired taste for receiving correction? Well, for starters, I, I think to state what's probably the obvious, you have to actually discipline and correct them. And the simple fact is that if you don't discipline your kids, you're not loving them like you should. And they're probably never going to grow to this point where they value that correction. Instead, they'll fight and resist it. Consider the following verses. I asked you to turn there to Proverbs chapter 3. Look at verses 11 and 12. Solomon says, my son. Okay, again, he's talking to his kid. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Or be weary of his reproof. Okay, now notice what God does when he loves his kids. Verse 12. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. If you're going to love your kids, you have to correct them. You have to discipline them. Proverbs 13 verse 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Obviously, discipline can be done and... There's a million and one ways in which it could be done wrong. And maybe even as a child, you grew up with that. You got it all the wrong ways. And it can be done out of anger. It can be uncontrolled. It can be overly harsh. 
I mean, there's just all these different ways that it can be done wrong. And even the laws of our land set out to protect against that. But there is a right way to do it. There is a good way. My parents were not perfect parents. I'm sure if, if they looked at the 10 things that I'm bringing out this morning, they would look at those things and go, you know, we did a better job over here than over there. They weren't perfect parents. I don't think they would claim to be. But if there's anything I think that they did really, really well looking back, it was correction. Uh, one example, one of the earliest examples I remember, uh, my siblings and I were, our neighbors were going on a little holiday and they asked us to come to their house every day, feed the cats, give them water, whatever else, all the pets they had. So my siblings are, and I are over in the neighbor's house and my brother and I see this gumball machine up on a shelf and we get it down and we start taking out gumballs and eating them and my little sister walks by and sees us stealing. And what does she do? Well, she goes home to mom and dad Nathaniel and Matthew were stealing gumballs from the neighbor. Oh, no. Come on, Marianne. Sure enough, what happens? Well, I know I'm in huge trouble. I, I'm sure I was corrected. And one of the things that, that actually stuck out to me about that occasion is Dad said, you know what, that, son, that was stealing. That was not yours. And so what you're going to do when the neighbors get home, you're going to go over there with a quarter, you and Matt both, with a quarter in hand, and you're going to knock on their door, and their daughter, whose room you're in, is going to come to the door, and you're going to apologize, ask her to forgive you, and you're going to give her a quarter and make it right. <laughs> oh, nothing could be, I can't do that. I can't go knock on the door, and you're doing it. And sure enough, they got home, and my brother and I went over there. It was a horrifying experience for me, but it was a small thing. My dad could have brushed over and said, Nate, don't do that in the future. Instead, he said, son, you stole, and you need to make it right. And, and that pattern continued all through life with correction and discipline. That was the pattern in her home again and again and again. Uh, even by the time where maybe the, the physical correction, we, we were sort of past that. I remember uh, at that point, my dad wasn't done. And even, even once we got to that point, it was, okay, now it's sentences. All right, you may be a little bit bigger. We may be past a certain phase of correction. I remember my brother and I getting into this huge fight playing basketball on the driveway. And uh, I, was, I did, did something really mean to my brother. He did something really mean to me. Next thing, next thing we knew, it was 500 sentences apiece. I will not do this to Matt. I will not do that to Nate. It just it didn't stop. Because we had reached some certain age, we were still in our parents' home. A few years ago, I was with my dad. And I think after becoming a father myself and starting to realize some of the dynamics and difficulties at play, I started just even more, man, I just really appreciate what my dad did. <laughs> I just really, really appreciate it. And, and my mom, and a couple years ago, he was here in Alberta, or maybe I was down where he lives. And I just said to my dad, I, I just, hey, dad, I just really want to thank you for correcting me. And for disciplining me. And I know I hated it. And I know I fought it. But I'm just so thankful. I think it's one of the greatest gifts you gave me as a parent. Was that you disciplined me. And you correct me, corrected me. You know your 7 year old son. Or your 7 year old daughter. Is not going to say that to you. But remember you're not your kid's friend. You're, you're their parent. And they need you in that role. 
because God chose you for the task, teach your kids to welcome correction. Teach your kid to take correction. And you can't let them win. You just can't. And number four, fourth lesson, teach your kids to work hard. Solomon said, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 10. We'll look at verses four and five in just a moment. But back in chapter six, verse six of Proverbs, Solomon says to his son, I love, I love the way Solomon does this. He goes, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and, and learn a lesson. Consider her ways and be wise. Look at, look at how the ant behaves. Apparently, laziness was not an option in Solomon's home. You don't want to shelter your kids from hard work. Remember, if you were to go back to, to the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, work is pre-curse. It's pre-fall. It's a good thing. God made us to be a working people and be satisfied when we do that. I asked you to turn to Proverbs 10. Look at verses 4 and 5. Solomon says to his son, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. And in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11, he says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Solomon expects his son to work hard and to apply his time and energy to worthwhile efforts. He expects that of him. That his son will be industrious in something that actually matters and that puts bread on the table, so to speak. And he's not there to tell his son, like, hey, son, this type of work is better than that type of work. This type of work pays more than that type of work. And if you really want to be somebody, then be in this field. None of that. He says, son, you need to work and be industrious in whatever God calls you to. Uh, within the last couple of weeks, we had something kind of humorous happen at our home. Now, we end up with kids' bikes and stuff all over the driveway. And so my wife and I warned one of our kids, listen, you can't put your bike behind the cars. It's not going to end well. Well, sure enough, one of us, either my wife or I, the, the person shall remain, remain nameless, but one of us hopped into the vehicle and backed right over one of our kids' bikes. And of course, this child was devastated. I mean, we're looking at the bike and the front wheels like all twisted and bent. And it, I thought, well, I could take it off and put it in the vice, but it, it's never going to be round again, right? Like this kid needs a new bike or at least a new wheel. And I have to admit, you know, as a, as a parent living in Alberta, I mean, my, my son, oh, I just gave it away. This child loves their bike. And here we are in Alberta. There's only like four weeks where he can ride it. And it just got smashed. And almost everything in my heart wants to say, you know what, let that be a lesson to you. Don't do that again. Mom and dad will just go make it all better. We'll fix it. We'll get you a new bike. We'll, we'll, we'll make it all work. And then you can just enjoy your summer as a kid. And, and we talked and thought, well, I'm sure that could be the right thing to do. And at some point, we just thought for ourselves, this is a good chance for our child to learn something. And so here was the deal, son. Mom and dad are actually going to pay for most of this. But you're going to pay for $5 of this. And you're going to earn those $5. Dad's going to give you five tasks, five jobs that I wouldn't otherwise give you. And for each one of those, I'm going to give you a dollar. And, and as soon as you get one job done, I'll give you the next. 
And you can have this $5 basically as soon as you're willing to work to get it. Well, task number one. Task number one involved picking up a bunch of gravel that it ended up uh, spilling over a gravel pile in our driveway and getting it back in the pile. I mean, that job took forever. It's like a 10-minute job. And the next one was, okay, all these pine cones under the tree, I want them all picked up and thrown by the fire pit. We're going to burn them. <laughs> and then there's big, big sections of the garden that you're going to weed this section. I mean, it took forever. But it was so good. And I think some valuable lessons were learned for our child, but also for me, it was a reminder, you know what, here's, here's where this child is at. And, you know, by 15, I really kind of would love to see him have this. But also, it made me realize, like, some of those tasks, I, I put them out there on his own. Here's your task. I want you to go do it. Dad's got to go work. And I, I was reminded in that, you know what, one of the best things, and some, when I worked with him even, just the, the, okay, just picking it up a little bit faster with dad pushing you and dad making you keep going. Keep, no, we're not going to be out here all day long doing this. And it just reminded me of the importance as a father. You know what? I need to be there right there. You're gonna, you're, we're working together. You have to. This is so, so important. Because God chose you for the task, teach your kids to work hard and expect that from them. Don't give them everything and do everything for them. You're not helping them. You're not doing them any favors. In fact, you're doing them a disservice. And lesson number five. Teach your kids to be truthful and ethical. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Solomon's warning his son against hiding his sin. And he's saying, son, bring it out into the light. Don't hide it. Don't try to fool God. Don't try to fool your parents. God sees everything. You want to live as if God is always watching because he is. And in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, Solomon talks to his son about being ethical in his dealings. Here's what he says there. He says, and in the imagery is of a, a marketplace or something like that. And he says, son, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. False scales are an abomination to God. But a just, a true weight is his delight. So son, if you're in the marketplace and you're selling grain and you say, I'm going to give you a, a kilogram of grain or whatever, you don't put that on one side of the scales and then something, uh, a false weight on the other side that, that helps things go in your favor. And you didn't give them a, a full kilogram, you gave them 80%. You deceived in the marketplace. Teach your kids not to cut corners, not to cheat other people. Don't take the easy way out. Because God chose you for the task, teach your kids to be truthful and ethical. Six, teach your kids to choose words carefully. One of the topics that Solomon addresses again and again is speech. And we're all doing it. We, we talk all the time, all day long. Our, our mouths are going, right? And so in Proverbs 18, verse 21, he says these powerful words to his son. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Son, your words are really powerful. And they, they can actually be quite powerful in two different directions. In the direction of life and the direction of death. What a contrast. The stakes are really high. Words are so powerful. And, and your child, from the time that they start to speak, needs instruction uh, both in how to speak, what to say, and what not to say. I mean, that's just an ongoing thing. I mean, which one of us has learned to, to master that yet? None of us. 
When I was a youth pastor, my wife and I were really struck by how teenagers very often tended to speak to us very much like their parents did. So, for example, uh, let's say I put together uh, a youth event for the teenagers. And I can almost count on after some of those events that I, I almost knew, you know what, this parent, this mom, this dad, there's a very good chance three times out of four that parent's going to come up to me and just say, hey, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the time and, and what you're doing. I just really appreciate it. Thank you. And Brittany and I started noticing a direct correlation that typically when parents were like that, their kids were too. It's like, yeah, mom's always this way. And so is your son. So is your daughter. What, what mom was doing and what mom was do- modeling, the teenager often tend to pick up. Your kids need taught how to speak life and to not speak death. Because God chose you for the task, teach your kids to, to choose words carefully. Teach them to choose words of life, to hold their tongue, and to bless people with their words because life and death are in the power of the tongue. Number seven, teach your kids to view and manage resources well. And I, I'm just pulling out samplings here, uh, often one verse that would represent many in the book of Proverbs. Listen to what Solomon says to his son about money. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Son, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. You want to teach your kid to give God their first fruits, not their leftovers. And you want to teach that this verse is about one of those commodities, money. But you want to teach your kids to do that with money or with whatever other commodity that God gives them. That whether, that whether that be their time or their resources or their talents or whatever else. God comes first with those things. For example, your kids should grow up being taught and shown uh, that Sunday is God's day. This day's His. Sunday is first and foremost a day for God, not for soccer, not for hockey, not for whatever else, not, not the chance for us to get a, just a little bit further ahead in whatever endeavor we're pursuing in the place of gathering with God's people. And Saturday night's not the night that we stay up till 2 a.m. doing this and that. Like We're getting to bed so that this day can be God's day. Sunday belongs to God. It's the day that we worship with the people that Jesus died for. Think about the impression, going back to really just what the first verse I read was about there, honor the Lord with your wealth. Think about the impression that's made actually on your child. When he sees you put a check in the offering plate, say month after month, year after year, and pretty soon he starts to realize something. You know, this is a pattern, month after month, year after year, my whole life. Pretty soon he starts to realize what's actually important to you. It's not necessarily driving a, a new car. You, perhaps you have one. I'm not saying that's wrong, but maybe in, in your particular family context, you're saying that the priority is not the new car, actually. And, and the priority is not necessarily taking my family on a really nice, expensive vacation every year. It's not necessarily living in a bigger, nicer home. No, maybe we actually forgo those things because this is a priority. What happens also when your kids constantly see you regularly and, and, and constantly ministering to and blessing other people with your resources? 
We don't just hoard all that God's given us so that we can have this great, spectacular life. Whether we've been blessed with great funds or very little, what we have, we, we, we seek to honor God with that and love others with our resources. Nothing is more powerful than a real life example. Teach your kids to view and manage resources well. And eight, teach your kids purity and self-control. In Proverbs 6, verse 32, Solomon says to his son, why don't you turn to Proverbs 6 there? He says to his son in Proverbs 6, 32, you, you look, look up actually at the beginning of chapter 5. First verse, my son. Beginning of chapter 6, my son. Beginning of chapter 7, my son. And right there in the middle, Proverbs 6, verse 32, he says to his son, he who commits adultery lacks sense, and he who does it destroys himself. And that's just a one-verse sample, actually. Solomon devotes, as you can probably see, just looking down at chapters 5 to 7 of Proverbs, Solomon devotes pretty much the entirety of those chapters to warning his son about sexual sin and its consequences and teaching him how to stay clear of that. I also think it's instructive, though, that as Solomon comes to this matter of talking to his son about sex and about purity, it's not all negative. In other words, he doesn't give his son a mere lesson in biology and then follow that up with nothing but warnings and a list of don'ts. Uh, Yes, he warns his son. But then listen to what he tells him. Look at, at Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. He tells his son, rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. Okay, when I just read those verses here in this setting in particular, does it make you feel a little bit uncomfortable? Would you hesitate to talk to your son or daughter like that? Because here's the thing, Solomon didn't. And I think the point would be this. Teach your kids to look forward to what is permitted. Not just to run away from what's prohibited. It's really easy to draw all the lines and say, stay away from all this. But if that's all you do, that's kind of a disservice. You also want to highlight, like, here's what's inside the box. And look, it's good, it's glorious, and God created it. Teach your kids to look forward to what's permitted, not just to run away from what's prohibited. Both are needed, and your voice is so important. If you are not the primary influence on this, you know somebody else is going to be, probably much sooner than you would ever imagine. Teach your kids purity and self-control. And by the way, don't let your negative track record or sinful past keep you from speaking up and talking to your kids. Maybe you trusted Christ as an adult, in, in your past, you don't, you're not really proud of it. Or maybe even after coming to Christ, there, there's some spots in your Christian life, you're not proud of that, and you recognize that. Don't let that keep you from teaching and instructing your kids. Lesson number nine, teach your kids to be and choose good friends. Listen to what Solomon tells his son about friendship. Proverbs 18, 24, a well-known verse, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In other words, son, listen, it's better to have one really close friend who's going to be there for you than a million 
kind of fringe ones. Then a hundred shallow ones. Work on cultivating rich and lasting friendships. I like what he says in, in chapter 27, verse 10. He says, do not forsake your friend or your father's friend. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who's near than a brother who is far away. And now Solomon is teaching his son about multi-generational friendship. Sure, have friends in your age group. But you know your dad's friend? He was good to me and he's already invested in you. Don't dismiss him quickly. Keep those relationships intact. And he's talking to him about the importance of having friends right there where you live, in your community, where you're at. Elsewhere in the book, Solomon talks about what good friends and bad ones look like. And I just say this, parents, like, God just said that this is your territory. I think a lot of parents, well, you know, that, that's my kid's choice. Well, why don't you have a say in that? Solomon instructed his kids And obviously you can do things in a way that's going to provoke your kids to wrath. You don't want to do that. That would be wrong, but there's there's a right way to be involved in those things. Teach your kids to be and choose good friends and try to model that for them. And then don't be afraid to speak up and even put your foot down when you see danger. And finally, 10th lesson, teach your kids to find a godly spouse. Obviously, it's not God's will for everyone to be married. And we know from elsewhere in Scripture that singleness can be a great thing. I mean, just an amazing thing, actually. Sooner or later, though, most of our children, statistically, will probably marry. And that's a good thing. And like Solomon, God wants you to teach your kids about marriage and about what to look for in a spouse. I like uh, what one pastor wrote about this. He said, don't let your child's hormones make the most important decision of their life. Get a word of wisdom in there. Stick your foot in that door before it slams shut. And that's what happens. Solomon says to his son in Proverbs 18, verse 22, he says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I mean, just Solomon's disposition on this topic as he speaks to his son, he's saying, listen, son, marriage is a good thing. Society might not tell you that. Society might say, hey, once you're married, you're like tied down. Solomon's like, listen, buddy, like, as soon as you can get married, probably the better. Like, you need a lot of help. Like, this is a good, go find yourself a good wife. This is important. Marriage is a great thing. It's a gift from God. And don't let the world tell you otherwise. However... It's super, super important to choose your spouse well. Proverbs 12, verse 4, he says this, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Solomon warns his son, hey, listen, this could probably go one of two ways here. You could marry really well, or you could choose poorly. And a bad spouse is going to feel much like a disease. Solomon teaches his son what to look for in a wife. We talk about Proverbs 31 and it's often preached to the ladies. But what's the context of this book? It's Solomon and his son. And he's instructing his son, son, listen, here's what you ought to be looking for. Here's what's important. 
And these might not be the things that come to your mind first and foremost, but let me tell you, son, these things, Proverbs 31, this type of woman, this is what you want. She's industrious, she's kind, she's hardworking. All of these things. And he says there, well, I think what could happen, Solomon teaches his son to look for a wife, Proverbs 31, but these probably aren't the things you know that a 17-year-old is thinking about first and foremost. And his son could be blinded by some girl's laziness. He could be blinded to that by her beauty. He could be blinded to her rebellious spirit by her charm. And he has warnings like this, Proverbs 21, verse 9, it's better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. If you marry an ungodly spouse, son, you're going to be a miserable man. She may be pretty now and make you feel this way or that, but watch out, like it's not going to be fun. I mean, what's going to happen, son, when you, you get up every morning and you've got a wife and a couple of kids and you get up at 6 o'clock, you go, you go work all day, you come home at 6.30, maybe 7 o'clock, and you're like, hey, honey, how was your day? What did you do? Well, I watched Oprah in the morning and Dr. Phil in the afternoon and called it a day. What? You think, like, you're going to like that? But she's so beautiful. Well, you know, you could maybe have both. And I think that's what Solomon's saying to his son. Son, don't settle, man. Yeah, go find the most beautiful, godly woman you can find and you marry her and enjoy that. But make that decision well because it's the rest of your life. Because God chose you for the task, teach your kids to find a godly spouse. I think so much of parenting, obviously it's happening within the four walls of our home, right? And by its very nature, it's, it's private, personal, sensitive, delicate. And I would encourage you with this. Don't be afraid to ask for help. I'm always happy to talk. I know I'm young in, in my parenting years, but I'm also very happy to try to set you up with another godly set of parents in our church. So for you to ask questions and seek counsel, receiving correction, we talked about that, and involves an attitude of, I need help. You're trying to teach your kids to embrace instruction. And this is just the way you can model it. Well, as a parent, I'm seeking that myself. Some of you can pick up the phone and you can call your dad and say, Dad, here's, here's where I'm at as a, as a father myself. What would you do? I really liked what you did. What would you do in this scenario? Others of you, you don't have that type of option. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You're a part of a family. You're, you're a part of a multi-generational family. And if you need help in any of these things or have even just really basic questions on how to do this or how to do that, ask those questions. Seek that help. God chose you for this great task. Teach your kids to be wise. And dads, on Father's Day, I would remind you that you are needed. Big time. And so step up, fathers and mothers, and by God's grace, respond to the calling that he's called you to. Would you bow with me?